Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Blue Crime Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'll be your host for this episode. This is episode 42, The Irish Crime Feud, Part 3. If you guys have not listened to Part 1 and Part 2, I highly recommend you listen to episodes 40 and 41 of The Irish Crime Feud. Uh, Part 1 covers kind of the origins of the feud, the histories of the family. Part 2 covers the really bloody years of 2016 and 2017 between these families. Part 3 is going to cover kind of the last year of the feud and then the fallout from the investigations and trials and all that kind of stuff. So best if you listen to them in order and start with uh, episode 40, Irish Crime Feud Part 1. Before we get into the episodes, get through the business here. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. Finally, if you can, please support the show via Patreon. Any donation level helps, and it will help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast and a thank-you message from the host. For no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you are listening to it on, as it helps expand our listenership. Thanks so much for your time, and without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime. So now in part one of this series, we introduced you to the Hutches and the Kinahans and the origins of their blood feud. We also covered some of the initial crimes that occurred back in 2015. In part two, we covered the bloody two years of 2016 and 2017. A total of 12 people are dead by the end of 2017, and most are confirmed to be a result of the war between these two. We also have some insight into how involved with this case police are issuing warnings and body armor to some of the known targets and in a couple cases we know that their proactive measures saved lives. This final part of the series will focus on the events of 2018 and some of the trials that resulted from the events of the four previous years. We'll also update you on some of the more recent developments in the police actions against the families. But let's begin where we left off. When we left off, police were actively trying to protect members of the Hutch family. And I mentioned in the last part two that we would talk about some of the reasons why. And the first reason, and the most obvious, is police have the responsibility to protect all life if possible, even the lives of criminals. And you'll see this whenever somebody's arrested for for some type of a major crime. Just thinking in my head, like the uh, the DC sniper anything like that when they're hauling these guys in and out of courthouses if, if there's not an underground parking garage or even if there is they're hauling them in, in uh, body armor and that kind of stuff and th- part of that is like look back to the jfk assass uh, the uh, sorry the uh, jfk assassination but you talk about lee harvey oswald and how he was kind of paraded by the media and then jack ruby sh- jumps out and shoots him um and kills him before police really can get an idea of what was going on with Lee Harvey Oswald. And had he been wearing body armor, now granted Jack Ruby could have tried to shoot him in the head, but still, had he been wearing body armor, it would have made things a little bit more difficult. And I think that's something that police learned from that incident, for sure. But even in the case of of criminals, whether or not they're 
convicted or not convicted or whatever it may be, police have the responsibility to protect their life. So even though these guys are members of a criminal organization, they've actually shot at police before in these robberies that they do and all that kind of stuff, that stuff has to get set aside because their number one responsibility is, is to protect all life, and that includes those of the criminals. Unless they're actively trying to kill them, then police do have that right to use force, including deadly force against them. But once that threat is is over... A lot of cases where you've got officers that shoot somebody uh, that's, that's you know involved in a shootout with them. It's we talked about it in the North Hollywood case. You're not supposed to just leave them there bleeding out and and prevent them from getting medical aid. So, uh, secondly, police know this isn't going to end as long as continued violence by one or both sides. This is a circle of violence. So even though it's mainly been the Hutches getting killed or shot at or whatever. It's only a matter of time before somebody was going to take a shot at another high-ranking Kinahan, and then that's going to start this all over again. So the only hope the police have for this to come to an end is without it going on for years and years till everybody's wiped out is is to try to put a stop to the, the killing altogether. And then finally, and I guess this is obvious too, they've already had two innocent people killed in cases of mistaken identity. So they can't just sit back and, and not try to bring an end to this killing when innocent people are, are getting killed it, it just they have to try to stop this so we'll take a look back at the story as we enter 2018 when we left the end of 2017 Kane McCormick had just been killed in a suspected attack on a Hutch associate and that murder occurred on December 1st and on January 20th of 2018, Derek Coakley Hutch, who had just visited his brother Nathan in prison earlier that day, uh, returns to the parking lot next to the prison, and now he's with two other men. And they had come back in order to throw drugs over the prison wall to waiting members of the Hutch gang. And I don't know that this is something you'd ever see in America. I, I was looking at the pictures of of what this looks like, and it's literally you can park next to the wall the jails on or jail yards on the other side of this wall that's what's separating the prisoners from from their freedom outside but these guys can just walk to a certain part of the parking lot and a predetermined area and chuck these drugs over the wall uh to the guys inside but that's what these guys do these two guys leave derek in the car and they go to throw the drugs over the wall and they're, so they're in the different part of the lot, and they hear several shots ring out from the area of the parked car. They run back, and they find Derek. He's been shot several times, including fatally in the head. The suspect vehicle's found burned out nearby, and then this is one of the cases where the suspects even burned the switch vehicle they drove after burning the initial vehicle. So just in case somebody saw them switch vehicles and gets the license plate of the second vehicle or follows that vehicle or the police are able to somehow locate that vehicle later in the day that one's burned as well so they're not taking any risks uh, whoever did this now Derek was a nephew of the monk and he had actually carried the coffin of Eddie Hutch senior his uncle at the funeral and no suspects were ever identified for the murder on January 26th, an extended family member of the Hutch family was set up to box as part of a tournament being held at the National Boxing Stadium in Dublin. And due to the recent violence against the Hutch family, there was a large police presence in place around the stadium. 
but that didn't stop a car from pulling up outside the stadium around 9.45 and firing at a man that was reported to have been, quote-unquote, known to the police. So I take this as likely a member of the Hutch gang or associated to the Hutch gang. He's hit in the hand, and an innocent bystander was hit in the foot by a stray bullet. And the suspect car was later found burned in North Dublin. Four days later, on January 30th, Jason Molyneux, a man connected to both Derek Coakley Hutch and Michael Keeg, who we talked about in part two, was shot to death near his apartment in Dublin. He had just returned from the wake for Derek, and two men were witnessed doing the killing and then fled and burned their van. Police believed it was a killing related to the feud due to the timing of the killing being immediately after the wake and it's likely members of the Kinahan cartel staked out the wake and followed Jason and ambushed him when he was alone. On March 10th, three men were arrested in a case very similar to the one that targeted Gary Hanley. Police were well aware of another assassination attempt in progress, and this time the target was Patsy Hutch. Patsy's the brother of Gary Hutch and the father to slain Gary... Gary Hutch and Derek Delboy Hutch, who had survived now two different knife attacks in prison. Police listened in again as they had bugged the van used by the team of Hitman. When it became apparent they were going to try to commit the crime, police moved in and arrested them. The three men in the van were found with a submachine gun, an automatic pistol, and a revolver. And then I saw somewhere else there was apparently another semi-automatic pistol and it was believed they were planning on creating a distraction outside the home to draw Patsy out and then kill him. Their arrest led to another search later in the day that produced a machine gun, a silencer, and a large amount of ammunition. Police were once again put on alert when on March 27th, they found graffiti on several walls near the house that stated if Patsy dies, the feud ends. Police believed more killers were waiting for Patsy to come out and clean up the graffiti, and they would then ambush him. Investigations revealed that the three-man hit team was well-supplied with equipment, information, and support. Several people associated with the Kinahan group and living in the area where the three-man team was arrested were found to have helped try to organize the killing by securing phones, cars, and supplying details about Patsy's schedule to the hit team. In 2019, the three men in the van were all convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 12 years each. And again, we go back to Vinnie Ryan dies, and those guys get less time each, one nine years, one 11 years, than these guys get for sitting in a van concocting a plan to commit murder. I mean, it was very clear that they were going to attempt the murder, but they get more time than, than guys who actually killed somebody. And in June of 2020, charges against the people supplying the hit team resulted in convictions for three more men. The main supplier got nine years and two others got five each. While they were sophisticated with their overall organization, the men the Kinahans employed tended to be drug users that needed to work off debts and other not-so-intelligent criminals. And in this case, they would often use their own phones, which made them easy to track down. And in one case, the suspect took photos of instructions on how to access an encrypted phone and he stored those photos on his own personal non-encrypted phone and so this allowed police to access the encrypted phone and learn more about the Kinahan operation. So 
again, we talked about how Kinahan has almost a never-ending supply of these guys. And in the case of this, they had one of the guys, his grandmother's house overlooked Patsy Hutch's house or something like that. So he was just doing surveillance nonstop, giving information about when Patsy would come and go and and different stuff. And he, was, he was a lookout, I'm guessing, when they were spraying the graffiti. And so they're... You know, the overall planning of these is actually to read the two hit vans and all the stuff, all the surveillance they did, all the planning they did uh, that went into each one of these hits. It's it's pretty clear how in some of the cases there were no suspects. So they're able to get away from these murders. And then other times it seems like these guys are, you know, just dumb as a box of rocks and can't can't commit the crime without giving the police everything they need and I guess it probably just depends on the intelligence of the guys that they're putting in charge of these organizations or even the other guys are in these in these hit teams but like the guy that takes the photos of how to access an encrypted phone and stores those instructions on his own personal phone that's not encrypted so the police are able to get into his phone and see the instructions needed to get into the encrypted phone and then they had a lot of information about the the Kinahan organization just based off of, of one idiotic criminal that uh, couldn't trust himself to remember how to get into this phone so he took f photos of the instructions so on July 16th, two members of the Kinahan group were arrested while sitting in a car in a parking lot. They were found to have a loaded handgun and were assumed to have been surveilling and getting ready to kill a Hutch gang member. On November 15th, a distant relative of the Hutch gang was ambushed while he was in his car after leaving his work. The gunman fired two execution-style shots into the vehicle before leaving and burning their vehicle. The combination of the Hutch connection and the MO of the killing led police to believe his murder was related to the feud. And this guy was, it said he was like a street vendor. He was, would sell uh, souvenirs or something. And this was a, I want to say it was either a soccer or a rugby match between Ireland and North Ireland. And it made mention in there that he left early from the match. So I don't know if he you know, got that feeling like something wasn't right because he's being watched or something because i would assume that the match between ireland and north ireland would be one of the, or northern ireland sorry would be one of the biggest matches for him to do these sales and it said he normally didn't leave early but this day he did and then he gets shot so and maybe there was something else maybe he was somebody communicated he needed to come home or, or something was going at the house that that drew him in again Sometimes these guys are really, really good with their planning, and if they're not caught, then the police are never gonna know all the, the amount of planning that went into this killing. It does seem like a lot of work for a distant relative of the Hutch gang, but again, this this is a war and everybody's fair game, and my guess is there's just this open hit list out there of if you can kill anybody associated with this gang, you get X amount of dollars, and people are out, out hunting these guys. 
On December 22nd, two years to the day after Noel Kerwin was shot and killed, Eric Fowler was shot and killed outside his house in the suburbs of Dublin. He had several criminal ties to different organizations, but the date of the murder and the ammo of the suspects led police to believe it could have been related to the feud. And remember, this is the guy that owned that safe house that the Estonian guy was staying in, and we know the Kinahans have some paranoia when it comes to snitches or whatever may be going on. So I think police have at least a few reasons to believe that this is the the Kinahans getting back at this Eric Fowler, one for potentially snitching and, and causing that issue with the safe house and the fact that it's two years to the day after another Hutch family. And, and who knows, maybe they thought that this guy was working with the hutches and that's why he gave up the the safe house or whatever it may be but the again i'm pretty sure i didn't have it on in here in the research but i'm pretty sure it was something about the the way he was killed and the burning of the car after and everything like that just just fit the mo of, of how the kinahans operated now, the last attack attributed to the feud was on March 6th of 2019. Lee Bolin, who was a friend of Eric Fowler and was driving in the area where Fowler was killed when he was shot three times and critically injured. The suspect vehicles found burned nearby. Lee was also a known associate of the Kinahan cartel, and police suspect he could have been targeted by Hutch gang members, but it's also possible that Bolin had a falling out with the Kinahans, and they targeted him for that. And, and so that's that's the last attack that's attributed to this feud, which is Mark, March 6th of 2019. And again, we've talked about it. Some of these might not be related. Some of these could be a completely different criminal organization going after a member of the Hutch gang for any other reason and and sometimes i mean if you're a rival gang that's that has beef with the hutch organization what a better time than to to start settling your scores when everything looks like it's going to be linked to the kinahan so again there could be some of that going on there could be it, it could some of these where there's you don't know if it's the hutches or the kinahans it could have been the hutches and Kinahans are getting blamed. You just, but what we do know is, if you look back on it overall, by far the the Hutch gang took the most casualties from this war. But both, I mean, both organizations. This is going to take a toll on both of them, and we'll talk about that more uh, in a little bit here. But. We'll also mention there's several reports of multiple attempts on the lives of different members of the Hutch organization, but those reports appear to be waning. And, and when I mean that, like there was, I think the monk had another brother that lived in Turkey, and there was a situation where he got a knock on the door and he went and looked out the peephole. There's a couple guys with with ski masks on and and weapons, and so he jumped off his second floor balcony of this wherever he was staying this hotel or whatever it was he ended up breaking his ankle but he survived this this attempt on his life so there's many members of the hutch gang and i'm sure there's plenty of incidents that weren't reported but there's many incidents where they were 
they've all had two, three uh, different attempts on their lives to this point. But as I said, those reports appear to be waning, and this might be due to the Kinahans have exhausted a lot of resources to fight this fight. They've had several members locked up, uh, guns were confiscated, drugs were confiscated, cash was seized, and you know they did lose at least a couple of their members to the violence. So it's possible I mean, war wears on people, and it might just be the point where you've killed a, a, a number of the hutches, and it's just not worth the risk anymore. It's not worth with worth the cost of it anymore. So we'll talk about some of the the trials that these guys faced. The main one being, we have that murder of David Byrne in the the Regency Hotel, and that's where the guys with SWAT gear and ran into the the boxing weigh-in and shot and killed David Byrne. And they were looking for Daniel uh, Canahan, but they didn't find him. He left he left earlier. So one of the guys that was charged with that crime and he he pled guilty to it it was like a week or two before the trial he told his lawyer that he had evidence against the monk that he wanted to put forth in a trial so the prosecution quick scrambles and and gets charges against the monk for for supposedly being one of the shooters in the regency hotel and they get this guy on the stand and he had like 10 hours of audio tape he had put a wire on and took this road trip with the monk somewhere and all throughout this time he's asking him about the the shooting at the at the hotel and whether gary hutch was aware of this and felt thought the guy was wearing a wire like he asked answered every question as if he didn't know anything the guy was talking about so when they get done playing this 10 hours of, of taped evidence and then the monk's lawyer goes after this guy in the stand, by the time he was done, I think there was more damage done in the trial by this guy being a witness than if he had just not been there whatsoever. And the, the jury actually acquits uh, Gary Hutch of all charges related to the murder of David Byrne. So he becomes a free man. However, the Kinahans, they're still trying to dodge a ton of different criminal charges. And they do this by setting up shop in Dubai because Ireland and Dubai have no extradition treaties in place. So even if the Irish government's able to link, directly link any of the Kinahans to any of the crimes that occurred on, on Irish soil, they can't force Dubai to give up uh, any of the Kinahans and while the Kinahans are hiding out in Dubai they get actually some small victories as I mentioned they were part of that Operation Shovel that kind of started this entire war where they thought that Gary Hutch was a a snitch that, that caused Operation Shovel and I mentioned earlier when we talked about that eventually most of those charges are going to be dropped and as a result large sums of money and vehicles that were seized uh, by the Spanish authorities had to be returned to the Kinahans and this is like 2021 so 
they're in Dubai. They're winning some court battles against this Operation Shovel. They're getting some of their stuff back as a result of it. And uh, Daniel Kinahan, who has now taken over the the cartel at this point, he's also got this love for boxing, and he uh, has a promotion company that he's that he's running at this point and and so despite the fact that they're kind of having to hide out they're actually still doing really well but in april of 2022 the u.s government joined the growing list of nations that are trying to shut down the kinahan syndicate and this is likely due to their connections with many other organized crime families that violate u.s law on a regular basis and this is like organizations like Sinola cartel and the U.S. announced that they would be treating the Kinahan cartel like many other organized crime groups in the world by freezing any U.S. banking assets linked to the group and putting them on no-fly list to the United States. They also offered a $5 million reward for information that led to the capture and conviction of the heads of the Kinahan cartel, who are Christy, Daniel, and Christy Jr., and these sanctions also make it illegal for any U.S. company to do business with members of their organization. So this means that the legitimate side of the Kinan business, which is at times helped keep their syndicate afloat when it's lost large drug shipments and stuff, they can't operate at full capacity. I know one of their high-ranking officials, he ran some like beverage company or something, and all the assets from the beverage company were frozen and that was money that they used that legitimate money anytime that they needed to plug a hole in their illegitimate money business so when the u.s does this it's actually a pretty damaging thing it's it's basically shutting down the business without actually being able to shut it down and the sanctions are also going to affect Daniel Kinahan's boxing promoting business because he'd work with big name boxers like Tyson Fury. And while Fury and the rest of boxing has walked away, his promoting company had to close shop because the sanctions placed on the organization by the U.S. meant that no money could pass between the company and professional boxing organizations, which are mostly headquartered in the U.S. So anybody from any boxing organization that tries to do any business with Kinahan's promotion business, if if he tries to sign a fighter, if he tries and then that, that fighter uh, tries to box with any connection to the U.S., all their money gets seized. So basically, again, essentially the U.S. has shut down the flow of money for Daniel Kinahan's legitimate businesses. Uh, at least in regards to any connection to the U.S. And I think this is also, in, it's already happened in Ireland, of course, with the CAB, and the U.K. is in on it as well. So it's, it's putting the stranglehold on the Kinahan organization for sure. And they also have that $5 million bounty on their heads for any information that connects them to any, any illegal action. So it's going to take somebody who's, got access to their books or access to information that turns that stuff in and then the u.s can go after them for importing drugs to the united states or in you know, the uk can do it for bringing into the uk or, or anything like that 
And this all comes on the heels of one of the top men in the organization, the guy named Thomas, nicknamed Bomber Kavanaugh. He's sentenced to 21 years in prison, and I think this was in 2022, for his role in importing drugs worth around $35 million. And these drugs were actually seized during an operation back in 2017, uh, which is you know, during kind of the worst part of this feud in which the police raided a property rented by Kavanaugh. And now this is where the numbers can get a little skewed. There are reports that the Kinahan cartel is responsible for importing $23 billion worth of cocaine into Europe through their partnerships with various other organized crime units, including uh, cartels in Eastern Europe and Russia. So I guess maybe that number is so big just because they're, it's just it doesn't mean that they're personally doing $23 billion worth of cocaine, but they might have deals in place with the Colombian cartels and the Mexican cartels that are bringing over that much worth of cocaine, but a lot of it's going through you know, their, their connections with the Russian organized crime, with Eastern European organized crime, and then some of it going into to Ireland, the UK, and, and other Western European countries. But it is possible that their feud with the, the much smaller Hutch gang and the violence that ensued in 2017 brought too much attention to their empire and ultimately led to their, their downfall. And the sad thing is, when they eventually lose this empire, someone will be there to take the throne just like they did after the Gilligan gang was taken down in the 90s, after they ordered the senseless death of, of that journalist. And it's crazy to think how things would be different if they had just honored their code back in 2016 and agreed to let the past be passed and had not started this war that they ultimately, I mean, they they could win the war, but they they also couldn't win the war. There was there's no winning for for them in the long run. And I do believe they succeeded in taking down the Hutch gang or at least making them much less powerful. But it, it came at the cost of their own empire. And they'll likely be joining the likes of guys like El Chapo very soon. And that's going to be a far stretch from the luxury apartments, vehicles, and lifestyle they've grown accustomed to over the years. And if you ever do get a chance to watch uh, that Hatfields and McCoys uh, miniseries, I highly recommend it. But if you get a chance to watch it, you're going to find out that history does, in fact, repeat itself. And it doesn't matter the country, culture, or people involved. When two groups declare war on each other, they're both going to end up losing. And that's kind of it for what I expected to be a single international episode. Uh, I hope my listeners in Dublin enjoyed the series. I apologize in advance for any mis mistaken pronunciations or general mistakes uh, I made in the coverage. This is one of those cases where I saw the I saw the list of crimes, the the eighteen murders, and I went. If I go through it really fast, I can probably cover it this in one episode. And then I started getting down, I have to break down the history of the organizations and I have to cover all these crimes and all the stuff that's occurring afterwards. And this is one of those research things where I would just go down a rabbit hole because I'd, I'd research the murder, a single murder, and then there'd be three articles about the murder that had more information about different aspects of it and, and everything. So I decided that it would just be best to, to, I said, to break it up so that it wasn't so all in your face, rapid fire, 
everything. You have time to kind of digest it. But yeah, if you're curious, check out this case yourself. It's it's pretty interesting because over here in the United States, I mean, we obviously have enough of our violent crime issues to deal with and, and gang warfare and all that kind of stuff. So we don't often hear of stuff like this. Um, where we are, uh, the, the news doesn't always make it to us. So that's why I like to do these international episodes. And again, uh, it's awesome watching my analytics and seeing uh, all the, the Dublin downloads pop up when I whenever I do a case. So um, I just wanted to, to give you guys a little bit of, uh, I'll break down one of your cases and hopefully I did it justice. Hopefully I, I covered everything because you guys are probably, you know, saw all this in the news back in the 20s. 2016 through 2018 2019 and, and and still ongoing and so for you guys it's it probably makes a little more sense but uh, again if you guys have any questions concerns comments anything like that reach out to me uh, via uh, facebook or through my email at truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com and if you guys can please support me via patreon at truebluecrimeproductions i'd greatly appreciate it uh, that's it for today thanks everybody have a great day goodbye